Hi, I'm Carmen LaBerge. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Mornings with Carmen LaBerge. Your daily encouragement that God has the world in the hollow of his hand. This is Mornings with Carmen LaBerge on Faith Radio. that yesterday's conversation with Annie Downs was encouraging. And so if you missed it, uh, let me, let me, can I say encourage twice in my opening uh, two sentences? Can I encourage you to go to myfaithradio.com and grab yesterday's podcast? So Annie Downs has a podcast called um, That Sounds Fun. And she now has a book by the same title. And it, if you just need some like, wow, positive encouragement, uh, let me let me recommend it to you. It made me um, think yesterday on several occasions about what sounds fun, what makes me happy, what I enjoy, um, how I could spread that to others. And so I thought this morning uh, in the lead off here, I just bring you two kindness stories from Street Road. So Street Road is the road I live on, and it might just um, sound fun, right, to live on Street Road? Mm-hmm. It, it It is fun to live on Street Road. And yes, that is street just like the word street and road just like the word road. And there you go. So that might bring a smile to your face. Just uh, just saying it out loud. Um, so t- yesterday, and I bring you kindness stories from Street Road because we're in the middle of the Kindness Always Initiative at My Faith Radio. And you can still join the Kindness Always Initiative at MyFaithRadio.com. We're going to fully celebrate it. Um, is it next? Is it next Thursday, Paul? That we're gonna like? Yeah, have next a big... Thursday, mm-hmm. uh, April Fool's Day. Whose birthday is that? A uh, certain Bill Arnold from <laughs> the afternoons. Kind of appropriate, don't you think? That's totally appropriate. So, on April the first, we're gonna celebrate our Kindness Always initiative. So you you need to jump in now because you know like TikTok, TikTok. So here are two kindness stories from Street Road yesterday. Hayden and Caitlin are a really young couple who moved on to our road 13 months ago. Now, if you're thinking about that, um, you might be surprised that, uh, or maybe you wouldn't be surprised. We hadn't even met them in any formal way prior to the COVID shutdown. Um, But they walk our street every single day with their dog. They're young. They're super fit. They faithfully wave as we pass one another. And um, I thought I had been noticing as I was passing them in the last several weeks um, that Caitlin was beginning to look a little bit different. And so then sure enough, I saw a big truck at their house um, unloading, you know, furniture that definitely appeared to be child size. And so yesterday when I saw them, um, I stopped the car and rolled down the window and um, and greeted them. And sure enough, they have a baby due on the 29th of April. So praying for Hayden and Caitlin and their uh, and their new baby. So I came home. I shared that with Jim. He's like, hey, did I tell you that a couple of weeks ago when they were walking, I was out there planting those chestnut trees near the road and we got to talking and I gave them to seedlings. And I said, well, do they know what to do with them? And he's like, oh, maybe not. So as he was um, potting some uh, some seedling trees last night, 
he loaded up two big tubs of composted soil and took it down to them. And they were just delighted. They're just delighted. So, um, you know, no, no particular uh, – we weren't doing anything different than we normally do, right? So uh, a big shout-out, uh, another act of kindness yesterday from Street Road, a big shout-out to our friend Matt Comp. He came over yesterday to help Jim move these two massive seven seven foot by three foot walnut, I don't know, that's way over constructed bookshelves, it would be in my personal opinion. Um, they're gonna span this fourteen foot gap that now exists in this open landing in our two story entry where I took out the railing. Yeah. So um Jim constructed these massive bookcases that are actually going to turn into a half wall. And Matt drove across town to help Jim stage the next part of the process. So these two kindness stories from Street Road are just examples of what neighbors and friends are doing for each other every single day. You have stories just like them from the street or the road where you live. These are just a couple of stories from Street Road. I hope they inspire you to do something today for someone else. Um, I mean, it doesn't have to be a part of the Kindness Always initiative, but that'd be fun too. You can find it at MyFaithRadio.com. And while you're there, I want you to note the information about the live stream event this Sunday night, March the 28th, a night of restoration. Jesus cares for your soul. Um, It's an event with Susie Larson, and I don't want you to miss it. All right, Ben Johnson is waiting in the wings. He's up next. Um, I don't know. There might be something about the Minnesota Gophers. I have no idea, but there's a Ben Johnson in that story, too. That's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. Ben Johnson. This Ben Johnson is from the Acton Institute. Is this Ben Johnson also going to be um, the coach of the Gophers? You know, I I apply and I apply, but they never never call. <laughs> People in Minnesota um, probably already know what I'm talking about. People outside of Minnesota may not may not be covering the news that the Gophers have hired Ben Johnson as their new head coach. Uh, he is a, a apparently an alum um, and a former assistant, um, and so that is a different Ben Johnson, but I just thought it was funny, so I lifted it up. Actually, Paul Perot thought it was funny, so we lifted it up. Tee-hee. So thanks, guys. Yeah. yeah. Okay, let's, um, let's jump in. Um, Joe Biden is not done um, with what I will describe as the most aggressive and expensive transformation of America um, on record. Talk with us about, you know, now now that we are um, uh, past the passage of a multi-trillion dollar American rescue plan, we now have a $5 trillion infrastructure plan. Yes. Uh, Joe Biden, of course, has talked about um, the fact that he's he was going to be a transformational president and Trillions upon trillions of dollars is definitely a step in that direction. Uh, And, of course, a lot of this owes to the previous administration, too. It's not as though uh, Donald Trump ran as Calvin Coolidge. Uh, You know, we had an enormous debt uh, regardless. And and Trump uh, more or less got rid of the budget hawk portion of the Republican agenda. Uh, he, He had very little interest. He said outright he had no interest in reforming certain entitlements and so on. So it it's not brand new. But what's new to Biden is this um, uh, simply the uh, 
the velocity at which the dollars are leaving uh, the station. So you have the American Rescue Plan, as you mentioned, $1.9 trillion, which, which is you know, an enormous sum of money in itself, added to all the other forms of stimulus, $5.7 trillion altogether uh, that was spent uh, in the name of fighting COVID-19, although very little of it actually fought COVID-19. And now you've got a $5 trillion infrastructure plan. Now, infrastructure pulls very well, which is why I assume that that's what they're selling this as. Uh, infrastructure is something that people of all parties uh, from every section of the country agrees we need uh, to rebuild in this country. So when they when they sell an infrastructure plan, uh, it's something that uh, most Americans can support. Donald Trump talked about uh, infrastructure as well, although uh, not very much of it got passed during his years there. But what's, uh, what's particularly interesting here is that uh, most likely, as in the uh, COVID-19 uh, American Rescue Plan, probably very little of it will have to do with real infrastructure. What, uh, what we're going to be talking about in some cases is, uh, is other issues. For example, we know for a fact uh, Joe Biden wants to include a child tax uh, change. So there was a child tax cut uh, in, in the American Rescue Plan uh, that uh, actually made it refundable which means that you can get a, a tax, quote-unquote, refund, even if you didn't pay any taxes. He wants to make that permanent. Uh, there's, there's also some, uh, some idea, uh, for example, down the line on uh, rural broadband expansion and things of that sort. Uh, all of those things could end up in this package and, in fact, probably will end up in this package. So when they say infrastructure, you have to dig deeply in order to find what's really going to be uh, in the bill. And ultimately, I think it's going to be one big boondoggle, a lot of it for uh, rebuilding green energy. Particularly, you're going to see attempts to uh, start up a green energy sector like there was with Solyndra. And all of that raises issues of cronyism and whether the sector is really ready for that kind of an influx of money and whether whether the money will end up producing anything when it's all said and done. When you add that to the idea of a massive debt, it's probably way too much, uh, way too diffuse and very little is actually going to be done on infrastructure. All right, I'm talking with Ben Johnson, um, and we've got to take a very brief break. But when we come back, we're going to talk about or get a quick update on what is happening with the Uyghurs um, in relationship to China and also a brief update on what is happening in Hong Kong. And then Ben has got something to share with us about teachers and license alternatives in Minnesota. That's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. You say it comes to Continue my conversation with Ben Johnson from the Acton Institute. You can find him at acton.org. Um, ben, um, bring us up to date on uh, on all things China or whatever you want to cover in this brief time. It's it's uh, a terrifying story uh, going on uh, with Uyghurs, of course. Uyghurs, uh, we're talking about a million people in essentially a, a, an open-air concentration camp in Xinjiang province. That is an ongoing going story, of course. Uh, so many people know that uh, that's happening. What they may not know is a new report from Amnesty International that not only uh, are the Uyghurs themselves uh, being held hostage, but then the Chinese government is actually actively separating families and taking the children into state-run orphanages. These are not orphans. These are people who have parents. Uh, the Chinese government is simply separating them from their parents and saying that we are going to uh, end up separating them and we're going to raise these children. So uh, this is this is terrifying. Of course, 
uh, you hear a great deal in this country about children being separated from parents and being held in in uh, certain suboptimal conditions, certainly. This is nothing compared to what's going on in China, and that's not making the news. Uh, our, our concern should be with everyone everywhere, but particularly here in Xinjiang, uh, because the reason this is happening, uh, China justifies all this under the name of fighting terrorism and fighting Islamic extremism, although there are actually precious few signs of that existing within this population. China's real problem with, with the Uyghur Muslims is the same problem it has with Chinese Christians, same problem it has with the Falun Gong. They believe in a God higher than the state, and because they believe that there are higher guiding ethics than what the Chinese Communist Party says, they are now targeted. They're being targeted for their faith and being persecuted, and there but for the grace of God go you and I. So they deserve our concern, and they deserve our activism on behalf of them, and particularly their suffering, crying children. It is a it is a horrific story, and we will um, we will circle back around to it. Um, uh, not only with you, Ben, but with others. Um, you have a story um, that I was not aware of, and I would love for you to share it with our listeners today. It is about teachy, a teacher's licensure, uh, the way teachers are licensed in the state of Minnesota. What is going on? Well, it's fascinating. You know, there are a couple of education bills going through the legislature in Minnesota. One of them is the Increased Teachers of Color Act of 2021. And the, the aim there is to try and increase, obviously, the number of uh, teachers of an ethnic minority background, because there are certain studies that show that uh, black students particularly do better if they have a black teacher. It gives them a role model to, to show that if you go to college, you could be like uh, your teacher in this, in this particular classroom. It's a commendable enough goal. You can disagree, perhaps, with some of the ways that it's gone about, but nonetheless, it's, it's a commendable goal. And the idea is to increase teacher uh, the number of uh, teachers of an ethnic minority by 2% a year, which would be about 600-some students a year. At the same time, though, there's another bill making its way through the uh, legislature. It's House File 1376-1376. And what that would do, there are four tiers of teacher licensing in the state of Minnesota. It would destroy the way that many, many minorities become teachers. So what the right hand gives, the left hand is about to take away. Uh, there are four tiers of licensing. Two of them are temporary, two of them are permanent. So tier one is a one-year license, can be renewed for uh, every single year. Tier two can be renewed every few years. But if you're a tier two teacher uh, and you didn't necessarily go to college to be a teacher, if you've uh, been teaching for a few years, you can apply and become a permanent tier three teacher, and that allows you to teach permanently. Uh, the 1376 would eliminate that route. Essentially, you would have to go through a traditional teacher college preparatory uh, program. Now, there are, there are hundreds, more than 700 minority teachers who hold tier one and tier two licenses right now. So the, the, um, the one bill would try to increase teachers 634 over the next five years, but more than 700 minority teachers would lose their licenses under this other bill. So it mm -hmm. actually would set back the goal of what's happening here. Uh, frankly, we need more high-quality teachers. We need more effective teachers. The most stirring testimony here uh, was by a, a lady who is a teacher in Minneapolis. She holds a Ph.D. in social sciences. Uh, she's She's been a teacher for many years under a Tier 2 license, about to apply for a Tier 3. 
And she said, if you do this, I will have, I will lose my ability to teach here. I'll have to go back and you know, go through a teacher program uh, as a, a, being a trainer. She said, I've sat on the committees that grant the degrees to teachers. And yet I would not be able to teach. I would have to go through this program instead of granting this. Uh, and it would cut off my access and hundreds of others who are equally situated to be excellent teachers. So what should matter to us isn't the license that is held. What should matter is whether the teacher is doing a good job or not. And uh, that's that's the most important factor, regardless of their preparation, regardless of their credentials. This is just another way the credentials are hurting, are hurting people, and particularly uh, the very people that the legislature is trying to help, minority students, minority teachers. Part of what's so interesting to me about this, Ben, is the um, the way that institutions and here I would I would include like institutional education, because, you know, some of this is about getting the right sheet of paper that says the right thing and is signed by the right person um, or the right institution. So some of this is institutions seeking to find a way to repopulate their programs in an era when, you know, we just. I'm going to use a term that I think my listeners are becoming familiar with. There's this massive disintermediation where these intermediating institutions are being sidelined. Um, so professionals in other fields with PhDs in all kinds of things or simply real world experience in all kinds of things have become classroom teachers. And they don't have the kind of, let's say, indoctrination that teachers unions or others might prefer that they have. So part of what's going on here is we live in an era of massive disintermediation and these intermediating institutions, including teachers unions and um, and teachers colleges and all kinds of things, want to reassert sort of their authority in the space. And it's not just happening in education. It's happening in other places as well. So I just want folks to sort of take note of at least one one thing that's going on here. There's other things going on here. And um, and part of what's in the bill is an a, an absolute advocacy for a, an LGBTQ agenda. I mean, there there's all kinds of sexual orientation, gender identity stuff in this bill. It's all hidden in there, but people should know that as well. Oh, well, you're you're right about both points. Uh, Education Minnesota, which is the NEA affiliate uh, in the state, not only represents teachers, but it also represents professors, particularly those who are with the uh, college teacher prepar- preparation courses. So it, it helps them. Uh, in this case, they have sort of a conflict of interest between a relative handful of teachers who are in uh, tier two licenses and then the large number of, uh, of professors who are teaching these programs. And they have to advocate for their members. So they, they advocate for the ones that are uh, obviously the uh, most remunerative to them. In this case, they're advocating to get as many people into the credentialing process as possible, regardless of whether the person can actually teach before or after the program, uh, what is what is most important here is that uh, is that they go through the program to uh, to uh, those who are running the program. What's important to teachers, obviously, uh, is that they get well trained, and what's important to students is that they have a teacher who is doing a very good job. So that's that's the key thing here. As you mentioned, one of the aspects of this is it guarantees a quote ethnic studies curriculum to every student in the state of Minnesota which can be somewhat concerning in itself. But then it says also that no teacher will be punished for introducing any curriculum by anyone who's a member of a protected class. And uh, that's both under state and federal law. As we know, protected classes now, according to Justice Gorsuch, include in the 1964 Civil Rights Act, 
those according to sexual orientation and gender identity. So drag queen story hour theoretically is covered by this bill. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. OK, thank you for reading things that most of us are not reading and um, paying attention to things that most of us don't have uh, don't feel like we have time to pay attention to. And you highlight them for us and it helps us. So Ben Johnson, thank you uh, as always so much. Thank you so much. God bless, Carmen. Likewise. You can find Ben at the Acton Institute, A-C-T-O-N dot O-R-G. You can apparently find someone by his same name as now the coach of the Minnesota Gophers. There you go. That is news you can use. We got more next here on Mornings with Carmen. We are approaching Holy Week, uh, Palm Sunday. Holy Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Maundy, Thursday, the events of uh, the upper room, the foot washing, the Last Supper, Judas's betrayal, the events in the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus's arrest, trial, mocking, crucifixion. We call these events the, uh, the Passion of the Christ, the Suffering Christ. And we say in the Apostles' Creed that we believe in Jesus, God's only Son, conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate. And so we're going to pause today, and we are going to ask ourselves, hey, those of us who claim to be claimed by Jesus, those who identify as Christians, those who want desperately to identify with Christ in his resurrection and his glory, do we also want to desperately identify with Christ in his suffering? Dr. Walter Strickland joins me next to help us see Christ in our suffering. And yes, yes, help us see how being a Christian is also to identify with Christ in his suffering, not just in his glory. That's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. Have you ever experienced that knee-jerk reaction when your child has done something goofy, unacceptable, and your first reaction is to pull away? Sure you have. I have too. Hi, I'm Mark Gregston with Parenting Today's Teens. We're human, and when someone hurts us, especially someone we love, it's natural to clam up. But avoiding the issues can have a disastrous impact. In fact, we become the consequence for their actions when we pull away. That's entirely unproductive. Though it's hard, Decide right now that you'll continue to move toward your child whenever they disappoint you. Reinforce that there's nothing they can do to make you love them less, and there's nothing they can do to make you love them more. Don't pull away. Draw them in. Looking to make positive changes in your family? Check out the helpful resources from Mark Gregston online at parentingtodaysteens.org. Dr. Walter Strickland joins us again today. He uh, is a professor at Southeastern Baptist Theological Seminary. He's also the author of For God So Loved the World, and we enjoy talking with him. So, Walter, welcome back. Thank you for having me again. So, um, as we approach Holy Week, um, people uh, all around the world are going to be engaged in things like walking the Stations of the Cross, uh, the Via Della Rosa, the Way of the Cross. They're going to be walking uh, with Jesus um, from 
his condemnation to his crucifixion and uh, and even his burial and um and along the way there is going to be you know this note that Jesus suffers for us um let's talk today about the suffering Christ and the Christ who suffers for us but also the Christ who suffers with us yeah you know i often think that christians completely skip this idea of Jesus suffering we often have a desire to see Jesus as uh, strictly victorious, which Jesus was ultimately victorious, which is why he's our savior. But I think we often forget the fact that there was these stages as you're talking about walking the stations. And, you know, it's, it's interesting that even in the way that we worship, we sort of skip by the sufferings of Jesus. I, I think we're just beginning to see more songs about the sufferings of Jesus, but then it's ultimate, uh, you know, uh, resurrection and exaltation and things like that. But one thing I, I, I do think is that as we approach Holy Week, especially after the week that we've just had as a nation, uh, that's referencing what happened in Atlanta and also in Boulder, I think that the Jesus who suffers uh, speaks a good word into this particular moment. Because I think a lot of, there's a lot of Christians who are asking, where was Jesus right now? Where was, where was, where was my Savior when all this was going on? And the, the, the issue is, is that Jesus is actually not just there to keep us away from suffering, but he's there to walk with us through it. And this is actually why Jesus came is because there are tragedies in this world that he says, you know what, this cannot be their destiny forever. People can't live in situations where there are trying times like, you know, uh, mass shootings going on forever. So he entered into this world, died, rose, so that we don't have to live in this fallen state forever. And I, I think that as we move towards Holy Week, uh, it's encouraging to us, not just in, a, uh, in our salvation sort of a sense, being justified before Jesus and being, you know, trusting in him for our salvation, but even comforting us in our sentiments even now in this moment. Walter, when you, um, you know, when you acknowledge that the, and I'll, I'll just say the North American church, but it's probably even more the American church. Um, we, we don't spend a lot of time. Um, I think this is our, our Protestantism in, in large measure. We don't spend a lot of time between the events of Palm Sunday and Easter. Like we don't dwell. We have not historically dwelt as a people in the days between Palm Sunday and Easter. And so we have the triumphal entry and then we have the resurrection. And so dwelling in the days in between seems to me um, part of a practice that many Protestants need to recover, particularly maybe less liturgical Protestants. And so that would be, I mean, when when Walter and I are talking about the Stations of the Cross or the Via Della Rosa or the Way of the Cross, if those are not things that are familiar to you, it's because they are very Catholic. So can you just maybe talk a little bit about that? Yeah, and, and and the thing is, uh, I, I I'm learning from my from from those who are Catholic even now, uh, and you know I, I was in a Catholic church on Saturday, and just looking at there's there's still images, uh, they're not quite carvings, but they're just uh, sort of statues in a sense of just the different instances of Jesus uh, in in Holy Week, and it basically goes to the cross and then culminates in his resurrection. So you you go to one uh, area. And you, you're able to look at this sort of statue 
and seeing it it, it, it it depicts a scene of what was going on in the life of Jesus. And then you dwell upon what was going on there. And it, what it really does for me, as I'm looking at, the, you know, this going down, uh, going around in all, all these stations, it really makes me stop and pause and think about, okay, Jesus was fully God, but he was also fully human. And so I'm actually able to sort of re like live those instances with Jesus. And so, and I'm always in those moments struck by the garden of Gethsemane where Jesus was, was crying out to God and even sweat blood because he was going to be uh, disrupted in his relationship with his father. And so I, I think that we often as Protestants dismiss this reality because we know the cross and his resurrection is coming. But the reality is, is that Jesus was torn apart. He, his, he was broken in two. He was on his face crying in this garden. And I think that we have to begin to see that there was a man. Yes, he was God, but we have to really co- uh, contemplate his humanity in these moments. And I think that's very helpful for that purpose. Even the way that we visually celebrate, I mean, reenact um, the Lord's Supper. In, in some places, like there's a physical loaf of bread, it is whole, and then it is physically torn into, not just into two, but then into pieces. People even walk forward to tear off, like tear off a piece of the bread. The, the tearing of the bread, the breaking of the bread um, versus Maybe a, you know, a certainly uh, more tidy way of doing it. And under COVID, I recognize that no one is breaking physical bread and then tearing it into pieces and sharing it with one another. Like, I get that. We have moved to a very sanitized form of communion. But uh, but I think that if we don't ever, like, read the passage and tear the bread physically, we miss that this is a body, a real body whose flesh is really torn, whose blood is really spilled out, a person who genuinely suffers in ways that um, are horrific. But I mean, even in, I have, I've got one listener texting in right now, and I just wanted to share this with you because this is touching people. And I think it's always helpful for us to recognize that. Here's a person who says, when I was going through my divorce and my, my husband betrayed me, um, you know, I realized at one point that Jesus was betrayed by someone so close to him. And right, like it helps her, it helps her recognize that Jesus suffered for her. Jesus was betrayed. He was sinned against in the way that she was sinned against. And his victory over um, over that is important and imperative. But the fact that he suffered in that way matters to her. I think that um, as we suffer, if we could recognize that Jesus suffers on our behalf for us, but Jesus also suffers with us, like it would help us. I think you're exactly right. Because uh, one of the, one of the most uh, central themes in the incarnation, basically when the second person of the Trinity put on flesh, the, one of the central themes in that whole Jesus's life on earth is his identification with uh, us and others. Because he is the one who identifies with us in our struggles. He does identify with us in our betrayals. Because, you know, it, and it's not, this is one of the glorious things about our Savior, is that this is God who could have saved in any way he wanted to. 
yet he didn't make himself uh, alien to our sufferings, but he entered into it. And I think that the entering into suffering is what we miss because we don't really focus on the, the, the life of Jesus. We, as, as Protestants, we often talk about the beginning of Jesus's life because we talk about how he was divinely conceived. We talk about the Virgin Mary, but then we skip over a lot of oftentimes what he did in his life, especially the, the more trying, difficult parts, which, which really begin to show the, I think, just the, the richness of Jesus, and we skip right to the resurrection. And so, I, and I think you're exactly right. The, the um, way in which we worship by tearing the bread, like all of that has so much symbolism, I think many Protestants overlook. And so, uh, you know, and this Holy Week coming up, I, I do pray that we're able to read about the life of Jesus, and even Holy Week in particular, and to see the humanity of Jesus crying out because he himself like uh, identifies with us in our humanity. And that has been a huge encouragement to me that while we are sorrowful now, but because of Jesus and his identification with us in that suffering, we're always rejoicing. All right. So one practice that you guys could do at home, you could actually get the litany for a traditional Passover meal, and then you could read into it um, the passages that we know from the Last Supper and how Jesus took that meal and utterly transformed it. And you could, in your own home, um, have the experience of the the blood poured out into cups as a part of that meal um, and, the, and the bread that is physically broken and passed around during that meal. And then you can see how Jesus transformed um, that very, very Jewish um, uh, tradition into what is now a sacrament um, of the Christian community. All right, Dr. Walter Strickland and I are going to continue this conversation in just a moment. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. All right, continuing my conversation with Dr. Walter Strickland, we're talking about the suffering Christ. We're talking about the suffering of Christ, the Christ who suffers for us, the Christ who suffers with us, um, Walter, I want to reintroduce another um, another line into this, and and that is, so we often pray and ask God to make us more like Jesus, right? Bring me into greater, greater, in, into greater and greater conformity with who Christ is. Make me more like Jesus. I want to be more Jesusy. Until we get to this, until we get to this, um, you know, I don't. I am very confident that most people do not. Think of the suffering in their own life as God's answer to their prayer that he would make them more like Jesus. Like that is just not the way we see suffering at all. And yet it may be like this is this is one of those. Be careful what you pray. If you pray to God to make you more like Jesus, this is the week we need to recognize just how Jesus-y Jesus is. <laughs> Precisely. And that's I love how you put it that way, because. You know, even thinking about the olive press, Gethsemane. I mean, this is, this is, I mean, this is crushing. That's on purpose. That's not, it's not an accident. And so if we want to, you know, it's almost like my kids, you know, I, I I teach them over and over again. Well, the way that you become patient is you have to practice patience. And, 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 uh, and even with Jesus, I mean, the way that we, the way the cross is the way of suffering and that suffering leads to glorification. And, and this is this is one of those things that I, I do. I'm convinced, and I said this already in, in, in our in our short time together, that we think that Jesus is supposed to 
get us out of suffering and not walk us through it. And, and I think that that's, that's a fundamental paradigm shift that we're able to, that we have to make because Jesus is able to give us victory over that sin. And the way of Jesus is going through the cross, through the valley to come out on the other side. And we also, in our own little way, I mean, of course, we're not doing it to save anybody, but in our own little way, we're going to walk through the valley and Jesus is going to bring us out on the other side and we'll be victorious by, by his grace. And I think by the power of the spirit, which, you know, we have to tap into as well, we're, we're actually able to uh, understand what was meant for evil. God is using for good. That is so, um, that is so helpful. Um, People who, Christians who endure suffering, um, recognize that Jesus is the way through, um, the one with the the suffering Christ who suffers not only for us but with us and walks us and walks with us in our suffering. People who are not familiar with suffering, which I actually, it's so hard for me to even like imagine that I could make that statement. But there are people who live a life that is fairly insulated from the kind of suffering that others endure. Now, I would argue that as a Christian bound to other Christians, when they suffer, I suffer. I mean, you're, you're, you're not walking through the valley of suffering by yourself as a Christian, you're not only walking with Jesus, but every other Christian is with you as well. And so for someone to say, well, I don't, I don't know what you're talking about because I have not suffered, you also then have not walked with the suffering. And that breaks my heart. Yeah, you know, uh, you know, one of the most transformative times that my wife and I've ever had is bearing a child. And um, there's times where we could not pray because our hearts were just broken. Our lips were trembling, you know, with tears running down our cheeks. There's times we couldn't read our Bible through our tears. But at the same time, the prayers that we said were so simple. God, you're with us and you care. How do we know that God was with us and that he cared? Well, he wasn't immune to this suffering. Uh, and also we had the spirit of God himself with us. And so we are able to get through this as well. And so God hadn't left us you know, just because we were suffering, just because we are believers doesn't mean that we're not going to have these seasons. I mean, we will have them. And really, I mean, it was, and now we look back upon it. We don't, we don't wish that time on anybody. We don't wish we, we wouldn't do it over again intentionally, but we, we met the Lord Jesus there in a way that we couldn't, that we probably wouldn't have met him in a different way. I think Walter and I, um, want to encourage you, if you're listening today, um, to recognize the presence of Christ in the midst of your personal suffering right now, and um, to speak to those of you who know people who are suffering, and for whatever reason, you have resisted the nudge of God to go to them and simply say, I recognize your suffering, and I am with you in it. The tangible presence of God's people in the midst of the suffering of another person. Um, I mean, Walter, when you say, you know, like, right, we, we couldn't pray. We couldn't read the Bible because our tears were so thick. Um, you know, as you're burying your child, other Christians are bearing you up in prayer 
and believing in those moments when you cannot. Um, I remember standing with a couple who were burying their child and them saying, will you say the words? Will you say the words? And they were talking about, in that case, the Apostles' Creed. Will you say the words? Because we can't. Like, in that moment, it's so impossible to, to, to speak the faith because the suffering is so deep. But, but other members of the body can embody and speak the faith when our brothers and sisters cannot. And there, there is something important about that in this week as well. Precisely. And, and, and I think that just because somebody can't speak the words at that moment doesn't bespeak a lack of trust and faith in them. Amen. It's just physically uh, impossible physically to do impossible. so. Amen. Right. And so in, in, the, in, the, in God's people, as his very hands, feet and mouthpiece can can say those things to encourage, to remind others of this is where I mean, for, for you you are proclaiming for them, this is where their hope is. Even though they can't do it right now, even even though the suffering is so heavy at that moment, they still are pointing to somebody. Somebody tell everyone what we believe in because the belief is still there, although the suffering is so thick. And I think this is where Jesus is our, is our example. He, he was uh, you know, crying out to the Father to the point where he was sweating blood. And... And this is, I mean, I, I've never been there obviously before, but this is a wonderful example to us. So for the, the Christian who seems weak today, for the Christian who looks at the, the martyrs and looks at all these, you know, uh, strong Christians and, and, is, and who, are, who have been very bold in their faith, you know, and are intimidated by that, you know, be encouraged today because our, our Savior is the Savior of the weak as well. And, and God wants to meet you. There's grace for you. The Lord loves you. He's trying to uphold you, receive what he's trying to give you, even, you know, as you're, as you're weak and, and, and faltering. This is why we have a Savior, because we can't do it by ourselves. And, and so I'm, I'm personally encouraged by that, because I, I, I want to be this super Christian, but I'm not. But the reality is that we have a Savior who, who sees us and who loves us and who was perfect for us so we don't have to be, and we just rest in him. Walter, thank you. Um, Thank you so much um, for your testimony and your witness, for your encouraging words. Um, Thank you for taking us um, in the way of the cross. Thank you for reminding us um, not just of the words that Jesus suffered under Pontius Pilate, but what that actually means for us. Um, thank you for taking us to the cross today, uh, and and thank you for taking us to the victory of the empty tomb. Uh, we genuinely appreciate it. I hope you'll come back as we as we continue to walk by faith and not by sight together. I'd love to. Yeah. Um, all right, friends. Um, as we approach the end of this hour, let me just uh, promise you that there is another one yet ahead. You are listening to Mornings with Carmen. I want to encourage you today, if you are suffering, um, Christ knows exactly what you're going through. He has literally been there before, and he's there right now. Um, So receive the grace of God in Jesus Christ offered right now, the victory over your suffering and even your death. We got another hour of Mornings with Carmen up next. All right, I have a a couple of thoughts here at the end of the hour. First of all, listener Scott 
texted in and says, serious question, how do you keep from being depressed by the news these days? So much of it is about things totally unimaginable five or ten years ago. Surely Jesus is coming soon. Well, um, Scott, uh, you you read my um, my answer to you um, in the text message, but I'll offer it here to everybody because I think your question is a really good one. Uh, first of all, I take the long view, like the really long view, um, and I keep my attention on the king and the kingdom. I periodically sing he's got the whole world in his hands. I read the book of Judges to remind me just how things, uh, just how bad things have been at other times and in other places. I familiarize myself with the testimonies of Christians around the world today who are living in very real distress. I know their names. I pray for them and their circumstances. Um, I use a physical globe to help me do that from time to time. Um, I recognize that America is not the kingdom of God and that I am an ambassador from the kingdom of heaven to the kingdom of this world right now and the particular kingdom to which I am called to bear positive public witness is the United States of America. This is my time. This is my place. These are my people. This is my thing. I'm going to get up every day and I'm going to do it. And trust me when I tell you the joy of my salvation is unassailable. Um, And yeah, I recognize that that invites the enemy um, to try to bring me down. But let me just tell you, my Christ is bigger. Christ is bigger than the news of this day and all the evil in it. He wins. We'll be right back. Thanks for listening to this podcast of Mornings with Carmen LeBurge from Faith Radio. If you haven't, you can subscribe to automatically receive the podcast through iTunes or the Google Play Music app. That way you never miss an episode. It's also available anytime at MyFaithRadio.com.